0: Hello you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens! Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series.
1: We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all
0: there will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad.
1: And welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore, and we are here back again. But first, you need to know who I am. Though, you know, if you're listening for the first time, I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup.
2: And I'm your other host, Shelby or shecup
1: Yeah, and we're here back again with more Dragon Age content to talk about... More creatures.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, if you are a diehard listener and you are looking at the episode title and you're like, ugh, I really don't even care about either of the things we're talking about today. Well, you're not alone. Uh <laughs> this is not gonna be the most like fan favorite episode. And that's okay. Um, maybe at the end, we'll talk about how much we hate these two things. Um, so, we are talking about the creature Gast today, which we meet in Mark of the Assassin DLC. And also, since we've been talking about Mark of the Assassin for the past two weeks, we are also doing a character deep dive on Talus in the second half. And I know she's ooh, controversial. Ooh. She's very controversial, um, and maybe controversial is not the right word, but a lot of people don't like her, uh, perhaps us included, so.
1: Yes, you have to wait and find out.
2: Well, anyway, let's just dive right in. Today, I don't have any fun facts. We know so little about guests. there's literally no trivia, so it just is what it is. But we'll get into some Talus trivia at the end of the episode. So, um, like I mentioned, we're discussing ghasts and their cousin sibling species. Not really sure what to call it. The Velgastrial. So, they're super weird, super random creatures that we've only ever even seen in one DLC. So, that is of course the Mark of the Assassin DLC from Dragon Age 2. So, to get into their background a little bit, they are small, short, goblin esque creatures. They are fairly colorful. And they do tend to live in mountain caverns of Thetis. When they are by themselves, as we see throughout the DLC, they are timid and shy. But when they are joined by their clan or group, they become very vicious. So they rarely ever go to the surface. And they generally do live underground like all of the time with their with their pack. And if their pack is large enough, they will attempt to kill or drive away anyone who comes into contact with their territory, which is kind of what happens when you encounter them in the Mark of the Assassin DLC. Now, they do not have the capacity for speech technically, but some of them do have the ability to wield magic, which we'll discuss later. But first, I want to talk about a quote from the Codex really quickly. So... This is what it says about them. And I think this kind of sums it up great. It says one is a little more than a nuisance and will flee if threatened. A pack of five or more, however, is much bolder and can easily overwhelm a bear. So that's a pretty significant threat. And it really does kind of illustrate their pack mentality.
1: Interesting. It is very interesting that they come in. And I, again, am back here with my monster manual from D D. So gas in D D are a subspecies of ghoul.
2: Interesting. Is it spelled the same way?
1: G-H A S T.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: Um, and so I want to just read part of this in there. So This is about ghouls, and then I'm going to read a little bit about ghouls in general, and then I'm going to read about gas. And I think it's interesting implications, given what we know about spirits in er, in Dragon Age, spirits and demons. So ghouls trace their origins to the Abyss. Dorisane, the first of their kind, was an elf worshipper of Orcus. Turning against his own people, he feasted on humanoid flesh to honor the demon prince of undeath. As a reward for his service, Orcus transformed dorsane into the first ghoul. Dursane served Orcus faithfully in the abyss, creating ghouls from the demon lord's other servants until an incursion by another demonic, by the genomic no lord, robbed Dorsain of his abyssal domain. When Orcus would not intervene on his behalf, saying turned, turned to the elf gods for salvation, and they took pity on him and helped him escape certain destruction. Since then, elves have been immune to a ghoul's paralytic touch. gas Orcus sometimes infuses a ghoul with a stronger dose of abyssal energy, making a ghast whereas ghouls are a little more than savage beasts a ghast is cunning and can inspire a pack of ghouls to follow its command hmm.
2: i think this brings up a great point um and this is kind of my issue with ghasts because they're not sapient creatures like they can't communicate they can't talk to you and me but they do have the capacity to wield magic so therefore wouldn't that make them basically immune to preventing possession that's what it seems to imply in the in the monster manual or at least they're very like susceptible to possession and so i think that's the same in dragon age as well um and so to me it's kind of like wouldn't they like all be possessed by a demon if it was so easy to possess them and also like why are demons not more attracted to guests so right. I, there there are just a lot of questions that i have in relation to this topic
1: but i think like the ghoul and gas um connection in D to like some of the more evil deities and like the abyss which is like this realm of death and destruction very similar to not quite hell but similar Mm -hmm. and just that connection to magic and everything like that versus like the way that corpses the like uh shambling corpses and other things in dragon age that are created it's kind of like i see i see where the dragon age writers and creators and game developers are drawing and piecemealing different inspirations across the fantasy world Mm -hmm.
2: yeah that's fair I think that's very fair Um, I just again I just have so many questions about how they came to be added into the lore you know was it just somebody's like pet project or was it like a last minute thing they're under crunch to get this DLC out and they just kind of threw it all together and didn't really think through the lore implications or is it something they're going to follow up on? I-, I have doubts about that last one, but, you know, um just very, I have just a lot of questions.
1: Yeah. Uh I have a lot of questions too. And I think that, this just shines a light on how much we don't know about magic in Thetis. how it works or what it can do or its possibilities.
2: or who can use it
1: right. Which is exciting and also terrifying,
2: I mean, fair. But I think it um it bodes well for all of you dwarf mage lobbyers out there, uh, myself included positive factor in your column. So let's let's talk about where we see ghasts. So we only really see them in one place, which is the Mark of the Assassin DLC. They're very common in the area that surrounds Chateau Haine. They live in underground packs and you will be attacked by them. But also in Dragon Age Inquisition, we do get a mention of them. And so Blackwall uh, is involved in this story. And so he tells a story about waking up in the desert, surrounded by hungry ghasts who had stolen his armor and weapons. Sarah then proceeds to call them Ghast Holes, which, frankly, great. I love, love that nickname, Sarah. That's great. Um, So we do get a little bit of a throwback or a callback there, but that's all we've seen of them
1: so few references to the
2: yeah um and i don't know if that was because again devs ended up feeling like hey maybe these are a little out of lore or because there was like a fandom backlash i I don't even know if there was a fandom backlash you know who who knows we will never know the answer for sure um but i have a lot of questions All right, so before we move on, I do want to talk about how they can use magic and and what that means. So, technically, the ghasts that can use magic are a subspecies called Velgastrial. So, they're technically separate from the common ghast um but they are simply put a ghast who has the ability to wield magic they often rise through the ranks and become leaders or um like chiefs of their packs so um the last thing i really wanted to say about Velgastrial is a quote from the codex so um just a little bit of a interesting information about them so this is what it says Occasionally, a pack of ghasts will include the strange creature known as the Velgastriel. Unlike the common ghast, the, velg- the Velgastriel can wield magic. Some assumed that they first learned by lurking around and watching other mages. Others believe that ghasts, like animals, are sensitive to the unseen forces that shape our world, and that the Velgastrial is able to utilize magic purely through instinct. It is unknown if Valgastrials risk possession when casting spells, as other humanoid mages do. End quote.
1: It definitely is an interesting point. And, like, I... Well, no, because there's this codex, so obviously they acknowledge. But sometimes I wonder, like, the uh, Genlock Emissary, is that just because they wanted to add more mage enemies in DAO? Because we haven't seen a Genlock Emissary since DAO.
0: Are you sure about that? I I feel like
2: we saw one in the Descent DLC.
1: Not again. No, Emissaries are their own creature. That they're yeah, like th- separate they're separate from a Herlock or Genlock.
2: Yeah, I know. I know that. I thought we saw them in that big huge fight next to those doors where the dark spawn just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. I thought we saw one there.
1: We see emissaries, but not a Genlock emissary. Okay. But this does bring into question like their sentience because like we don't really see Like, we're not seeing wolves or bears use magic off instinct. We're not seeing even dragons who breathe different elements aren't using that. They're not using magic to do that. They have, like, a piece of their anatomy that holds that in their body.
2: Yes, and in places where we see creatures use magic, we see them oftentimes in places where like the veil is thin and the place has become corrupted by demons. And so we, we see like magical elements, but we don't see those creatures like actively casting, actively using spells. Um, It's kind of like an effect of the area or something like that, rather than them actually like being a trained mage.
1: Right, exactly. And so, because to be able to use magic, as we understand it means you have to be able to reach out and touch the fade, Mm -hmm. and bring the fade into the world, the material world. And there is a connection, though, I think they've kind of, I don't know how far they've leaned into it. But there's a connection between the fade and dreams. And so you have to dream. Now, you know, everyone knows, like, if you've ever, if you own a dog and you've watched your dog, like, they dream. So, like, all, it, a lot of creatures can dream, but like, the added ability of like actively casting magic and like the Velgastriel, it chooses which spells to use. Like, beyond just like instinct, it, chooses like i'm going to cast a fireball now mm-hmm. which implies a different kind of thing on there which means i think they're they might just be a not well thought out enemy that they just wanted to add you know mm-hmm. they were adding the wyverns and they wanted to add a new type of enemy and they're like oh we don't really have a goblin like creature let's add one." Oh, they can do magic and they didn't really
2: they, they didn't really the think lore. it through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that conclusion. um I think there are a lot of ways to spin it in the lore. And look, if you like this creature, by all means, continue liking it. We're not really here to tell you what you can and can't like, um uh, but there are some lore inconsistencies here. So let's take an early mid break and then we will come
0: back and talk about the one and only Cunari Talus. All right. What makes your Ram so special? Well, he's always brought the family luck. And his
2: advice helped us make our fortune.
0: Your Ram offered advice? How do you get your hair to do that, Dorian? With magic? With proper hygiene and grooming. Maybe all three of you should get acquainted. Kirkwall's not brown enough for me. But hey, no Darkspawn. Bereldon wasn't that brown. The dirt and mac gave it character.
1: So we're in the middle of the show where we take time to thank our patrons. And so a thank you to our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. And a very special thank you to our Nug King patron, Louis H. Uh, thank you to all our patrons who support us. If you'd like to join them and support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash Um if you like to support us another way, you can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple or Spotify. Uh, you can leave us comments on individual episodes in Spotify. And if they are nice and you lead us five stars, we will read them out on a future episode of the show. And we don't have any to read today. So we are caught up from our break. And so we need more. If you've got comments, if you like a review, if you like what we do, give us a review and we'll read it out. And then the last thing I have to talk about is come hang out with us on Discord. I want you to know that we are going to be doing another giveaway for DA Day, which is in December. So it's about a month away, but most of that information will be passed to Discord first. So if you want to be ahead of the game so you can see what's coming with that giveaway, you need to join the Discord. It is the place to be to get information about our podcast and what we're doing. That's the place to get it.
0: And that's all I got for the mid-break. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Have a care where your eyes linger, Alistair. Yes. Well, don't worry. It's not what you think. I see. I was looking at your nose. And what is it about my nose that captivates you so? I was just thinking that it looks exactly like your mother's.
2: I hate you so much. I was one of the crows you hired to kill the Grey Wardens.
1: I thought you looked familiar. Well, I just wanted to report that I failed my mission, Loghain.
2: You don't say. I'm terribly broken up over it. Hmm. Well, thank you kindly for informing me.
0: You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping down. Okay, so
2: the rest of our episode is going to be devoted to our character, Deep Dive on Talus. Now, I know that she's quite an unpopular companion, and for good reason, um, but Austin especially, keep an open mind (laughs) throughout the episode, and we will talk about why we like her or dislike her at the very end. So... Um since we do have already dis- discussed uh, Gasts and Valgastriel, I thought it would be good to pair them with this character that comes from the same DLC. So we'll get into her story and her appearance for the rest of this episode. But first, I want to remind you that she is part of the Cune and remember that the Cunari names are like their roles or their job. This is the same story here. Talus is her Cunari name, her Cunari job. We don't know what her name was before she joined the Cune, so we're just going to have to refer to her as Talus throughout. If we did know it, we would refer to her before she joined the Cune as that name, but unfortunately, we just we just don't. So she's Talus throughout. But reminder: this is uh, her Cunari name as well as her job. So. Where does Talus come from before she joins the Cune? What do we know about her? Well, we know that she was a city elf who was born into Venter, and she was born to a free Elven family in Menrathis, but her parents sold her into slavery so that they could pay off her debts. I was like shocked, rocked to the core when I read this in the Codex. Um, And in the world of Thetis Encyclopedia, because like as I'm not a parent, but like if I was a parent, I could never imagine selling my child into slavery. I could never imagine like I would sell myself into slavery before I put put my child through that. Like I would sell myself into slavery before any of the children you work with that I know at, at your job like i would sell myself into slavery before they went into slavery like you know like Mm
0: -hmm. i
2: I just can't imagine putting a child into that situation especially a child that you say you love
1: right so first
2: thing right off the bat what the fuck
1: yeah i mean the only defense i have which is very weak and I don't even really think is an excuse at all, but the only explanation is that extreme poverty and depression can drive people to do all kinds of things across the spectrum—amazing, brave, and redemptive things to awful and terrible things. Just
2: yeah, I agree with you. That is a weak argument. <laughs> like I grew up poor. Like I, w- my family was not wealthy growing up. My parents never tried to sell me into slavery?
1: That's true. I, I'm just saying that we don't necessarily know the situation that her parents were going in. Again, like no, you should not sell your children into slavery. Like this is not the right thing, but dealing with an oppressive entity that is to venture especially in Monrathis, I don't I don't know exactly what they were doing.
2: I mean, that is a fair comment. However, I am not reserving judgment. I full judgment to Talis's parents, like 100 percent. Right, you can reserve them. judgment if you want to, but I am not.
1: No, it's too late. I hate them. Okay. They're the worst. I hate Perfect. them.
2: <laughs> well, then let's move on. So All right. that's that's how Talis kind of like. That's how her story really starts. Um, so she gets sold into slavery and she's been being transported by ship to the city of Karast um, into Venter And that's when a group of Cunari board and capture the ship. They then take their ship to the uh, to their iron. Oof. They then take that ship that they have captured to the island fortress of Cunothris, which is east of Saharan. So let's let's be really clear about this. Talis's parents sell her into slavery, but she doesn't actually go into slavery under a Taventer mage because the Cunari rescue her by capturing that ship. So Talis, while she was sold, while she did probably go into and deal through. And deal with some horrific things while she was on that ship. She never actually like was a slave in a person's household, working day in and day out. She is rescued by the Cunari before that happens. So, um, of course, when they land, they you know kind of go through all the people that were on the ship and and decide: Are you fit for the Cune or not? Talos is actually deemed unfit to join the Cunari and become a Cunari, um, and she was deemed an unacceptable convert to the Cune. So basically, she was on the path to become one of their mindless laborers. However, a high-ranking Ben Haseth member named Salit formally requested that she was turned over to his care so that he could train her to become a Talos, which means those who solve. Now, if you remember last week's episode, Salete also made an appearance as an enemy of Talus and an ally of Duke Prosper. This is the same person. So, we actually have a snippet of a letter from Salete who said this in argument for Talus joining the Kune. What you say of the young elven girl is true. But what you describe as headstrong, I would describe as spirited. You believe the girl impossible to break, but I believe the challenge she presents is superseded by the rewards of doing so. So Salit is very much an advocate for her in her early days of joining the Cune, and is truly really the only reason she's even allowed in.
1: Yeah, it is very, very interesting. And it's interesting that she shares this kind of common story of like being described as headstrong or spirited and then being turned over to the Ben Hasrith. We've heard this kind of story before with the DEA companion in the iron bull. I was going to say just, and you might have been ready to say this, but maybe this is something that the Ben Hasrith do that they just like, I know bull was recommended by his to Um, But maybe this is just something that the way the Ben Hasrith operate, those who are headstrong and more independent succeed in them. So they tend to take on those cases more often.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's correct. And I was just going to add and say, like, I think that I think the Ben Hasrith prioritize the value of being headstrong, being stubborn, being independent more than any other branch, because. That's not something that's valued in the Kune at all. But to live in the rest of Thetis and to be a spy undercover, you have to have that value. So I think that there is this um, almost paradoxical relationship that the Ben Hassreth have with the rest of the Cunari organizations and so they have to value and prioritize things that maybe the rest of them do not and so I think that that is that is kind of what's happening here with with Talus. so as you may have guessed the request from Salit to train Talus was granted and so after she was trained She, you know, basically just lived a life as a Ben Hathreth agent and she had a lot of responsibilities. And so there are a lot of them so we can get into all the things she did. So her prior, her main, her main task would have been traveling to non Cunari lands for reconnaissance, which is what we see her doing in the DLC, but also her other responsibility is leading burglaries, heists, and assassinations at the request of the Ben So I have some follow up on this second point. Um, always wanted, also wanted to point out that her missions, especially the ones in which she was supposed to burglarize or assassinate something or someone, these missions were always completed successfully but they were never completed perfectly. She had a tendency to leave her own mark on the missions, which her supervisors very much disapproved of. The World of Thetis Encyclopedia says that, quote, this indicated a streak of pride that they believed would ultimately lead to disobedience. They were correct. So um, important to remember, Cunari would prefer a job to be undone like not completed if you can't complete it perfectly just don't do it don't complete it um, and that was never talus's um, mo her, ta- her talus's mo was always i'm gonna do it but i'll do it my own way so again we see this paradoxical relationship developing with the Cune. so i have um a story about a kunari artifact to kind of dive into so during one mission to get a Cunari artifact back, Talus finally went too far. Um, an Orlesian count named Alphonse Valmont, remember the last name, member of Orlesian royal family, unsure exact relation. So she, um, or this count, has stolen a Cunari artifact. And so Talus is in the count's estate to basically steal the artifact back uh she in the process discovers both human and elven children who were being sex trafficked and kept as sex slaves talus is understandably enraged and furious and so she lets all the children go killing many guards and also count alphonse in the process his assassination almost reignited the war between Orlé and the Cunari, so it is a major diplomatic incident. Even though Talus successfully completed her mission because she recovered the artifact, it was deemed that she was too strong willed to continue in her role as a Talus and a member of the Ben hasrath so she was then demoted to Athlock, which is a general laborer, like a just a regular blue-collar worker. And she was a, a specifically assigned to be a kitchen worker aboard the Aeroshocks ship docked in the Kirkwall Harbor. Interesting. Her sponsor, Salite, was also demoted within the Ben Hasworth leadership. Talus spends two years working on the Aeroshock's ship before she has a chance to redeem herself. Interesting. Very interesting. There's also another, we don't just see Talus in Mark of the Assassin, we also see her in a web comic series called Redemption. I have never seen this because I have no way to watch it. Uh, supposedly it's on Amazon prime, but I couldn't find it. So I have no idea. I read some summaries about it. So we'll talk about it. Uh, it's a p- supposedly six episodes long and it's like live action. I don't know. Um, but basically in this, series, we get the story of Talis's redemption, hence the title. Um, she's being tested to see if she will be permanently reinstated as a talus or if she'll just be continue to be a laborer. So she is sent to track down a Talvashoth, Sarabas, who escaped a Chantry prison. Along the way, she encounters a Templar named Cairn. While hunting the Cerabos, she finds that a mage and his accomplices stole a precious elven artifact named the Mask of Finn Herell. Interesting, which is an artifact that is supposedly able to basically like combine the veil and the fade together into one. And the fade the veil is the barrier between the two. So basically this would accomplish Solus's goal of tearing down the veil, hence the name, the Mask of Fen'Harel. So anyway, eventually Talus and the Templar Cairn track down this mage and his accomplice um, and the Sarabas to an isolated cave near Sundermount. And so in a series of events, they get sealed into the cave by the Sarabas, but they are unable, but they are able to escape via the cave. Um, and it's like tunnel system throughout the mountain. So when they finally do reach the Cerebas again, there's this huge fight and eventually the Cerebas, the mage, is killed. Now, if you remember, Talus's job was to track down and capture the Cerebas, not to kill them. So once again, even in her redemption, we have record of her doing part of the job she's assigned to do, but also mucking it up and doing it her own way at the same time. You'd think she would want to be on her absolute best behavior since this is a reinstatement mission. Apparently, though, the kunari didn't think too much of it because she was indeed reinstated as a Talus, regardless.
1: I guess because, you know, the Cerebas, like, yeah, they prefer it captured, but a dead Bass is better than a loose Bass in the
2: Cune. That's fair. I was going to say because they treat them as objects and like subhuman um, mm-hmm. or subcunari. So your, your interpretation is a little bit more generous than mine. Yeah. <laughs> so that all leads into Dragon Age 2. And in Dragon Age 2, we meet Talos again or for most of us the first time. During the Mark of the Assassin DLC, and so in this, Talus assists Hawk when they are ambushed by Antivan Crows. Talus then enlists Hawk to help her steal a jewel from an Orlesian duke named Prosper de Montfort, who we also talked about last week. This jewel is called the Heart of the Many. And Talus does not tell Hawk that she is a member of the Cunari. It's not until Hawk is well into the quest and has even completed the Wyvern hunt that Duke Prosper reveals Talis's status as a member of the Cunari. The Duke then locks the party in a dungeon and Talus confesses everything that has happened. She tells Hawk that she was actually trying to stop a Talvishoth named Salite, her old friend, from selling Cunari secrets to Orlay. Even though the literal Eric Kuhn didn't think it was necessary to step in, Talus once again takes the issue into her own hands. Whether or not Hawk decides to help Talus after escaping, Hawk eventually confronts both Prosper and Salit, like we talked about last week, Um while Hawk distracts the Duke, Talus steals the scroll that Salite was handing over to Prosper, which contains information on various Cunari sleeper agents throughout Thetis, even those who have left the queue. The Duke, as we discussed last week, doesn't recognize or understand the significance of this list of names um but Prosper and his his troops, they do kill Salete. Um, and his accomplices as well, but they die too, because Hawk kicks them over a cliff, basically. So that is kind of the end of everywhere that we have seen Talus in the games so far. Um I do have some trivia, but if you have thoughts first, we can get into it.
1: I think we can just go into the trivia,
2: okay. So I have several trivia and quotes from her. So first is that Talus is voiced by Felicia Day and Felicia Day is like a pretty, pretty well-known like nerdy actress. I don't know. She was in supernatural. That's all I know her from, but apparently she's been in a hell of a lot of stuff. So anyway, um, also notable is that Talus is the first female Qunari that we meet. Um, that we really get to know. So that's significant. You can also flirt with and even kiss Talus in the DLC with absolutely zero bearing on your romance in the game. Like, even if you bring your romance partner to this DLC, no comment. So I don't know. Um, and then, contrary to popular belief, Talus argues that not all Cunari are zealots. In her opinion, the only reason Cunari react violently to things is because most of them don't understand why non cunari behave the way they do. Talis, who claims she understands both cultures, believes that it is her duty to protect the innocents, regardless of their culture. Although she doesn't deny that dangerous people do need to be assassinated for the good of all, she asserts that violence isn't their solution for everyone. And then lastly, Talus herself believes that the Cunari inspire purpose, community, and a unified effort of improving everyone's lot in life. Although some see the Cune as tyranny, to her, it represents the promotion of the welfare of all. Talus believes that these principles are worth defending, upholding, and striving for. Stopping Salite, therefore, is not only a moral obligation for her, but also a test of faith to determine the righteousness of her own belief system. Although Talus does openly admit the, that the CUNARI system isn't perfect, she believes it's a valid alternative, if not better than the indifference and cruelty promoted by Taventer and other outside cultures. Now we can get into some quotes. Austin is looking so pissed off. So I i can't wait for the conversation we'll have after the quotes. So I, I only brought two quotes just because we don't really have that many from her. Um, so the first one is, I may be Cunari, but I was raised an elf. And then secondly is, doubt is the path one walks to reach faith. To leave the path is to embrace blindness and abandon hope. okay i'm gonna turn it over to austin now
1: i guess i know we're on the why do you love or hate Talis? and this is my frustration one the introduction of talus and why hawk would help her makes zero sense for me especially i mean i guess if you do if you do the mark of the assassin before you go to the deep roads which you can do highly highly do not recommend you will be grossly underleveled and it will be so difficult. But if, or I guess if you did it in like the middle of Act Two before the Kinari invasion, you could do that. But like it very much plays as if like Talos is reaching out to Hawk because of the reputation as champion of Kirkwall. Which why would she reach out to Hawk, who gets the title champion of Kirkwall for from killing repelling, the killing the Aeroshock.
2: I wonder, I wonder if it's supposed to be set more like before that time period where like the Aeroshock actually respects Hawk and has gotten to know Hawk well enough to be like, okay, this one's not like the others, but we still hate them. So I wonder yeah. if it's more set to be in that time period rather than like the end of the game.
1: My other issue with Talus. Is she's only for our first character that is attempting to make the Qunari uh sympathetic to the Cunari. Because yes, we have Sten, but not a lot of people engage with Sten. Um, Sten is hilarious, and I love Sten, and I think that he's a like he has funny comments, but like he's he doesn't make you look favorably upon the culture of the Cune. And so Talus is kind of like their introduction where Bioware is trying to make us look favorably on the Cune, but they do it in a way who's someone who is not really committed to the Cune. Like, yes, she says she's committed to the Cune, but only when it's the Cune is convenient for her to be committed to. Yes. When it's inconvenient, she abandons it. Exactly. And like if you if you compare her to bull like even when bull is tal vashoth, he still is like no i'm not gonna you know just because i'm tal vashoth does not mean i'm gonna start embracing extreme mage freedom or the crazy thing that you non-kunari believe and do or whatever like it you can tell that he really believed it beyond him just being the culture that it was raised in. And I think that it's that she lets this sense of justice drive her, but she's so short sighted that she just reacts on impulse. And it made a very unlikable character. And frankly, I also get frustrated by Talos because I'm tired of Bioware taking, you know, a-list voice actors and giving them crappy characters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The Laura Bailey treatment, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that's all of those things I think are completely fair. I get frustrated with Talis because when I first started this research I'm expecting this tragic backstory. I'm expecting like she's born into a life of slavery, her her parents are elven slaves and she's rescued by the Kune. and that's why she's committed to them even if she's kind of like evolved her thinking past the Qunari. That is not the case. She was never even in slavery. Like, that's the annoying thing to me is that she's like, oh, the Cumes saved me. They rescued me from slavery. And it's like, yeah, okay, you were sold, but, like, you didn't work a day of your life under slavery. You didn't do shit. You just were on a fucking boat. So, yes, absolutely, like, have you know sympathy and and a desire for justice for your fellow elves but like don't sit there and act like you suffered for years under this system of slavery when there are actual elves uh, other elves out there that we've seen in game who have gone through that other freaking companions that can be in the room Venris. Right. So to me, it's just so hypocritical of her to, you know, act like that. For that to be her backstory, it it makes no sense.
1: Right. And it's just a thing about, like, even this whole quote that you brought, you know, that I may be Qunari, but I was raised an elf. Like, the Qunari is not a race. It is not a it is a belief system that you either believe or you don't. Like I know there's a lot of gray in Theta and even the Cunar, even the cune is not black or white in a lot of things. like it's it's not just evil and oppressive like there are other it's wide like that. but the cune is a very like black or white. this is what you do. this is what you don't do belief system. And Talos is trying to force it to be gray, and so my whole thing with her is like, do you really believe in the cune, or is the cune convenient for you? So you're trying to shape it into your own image.
2: Mm-hmm. I think she feels obligated uh, because mm-hmm. they rescued her from slavery. I think. I think that that she feels obligated and I think that she has convinced herself like, no, no, I really believe this. I just may disagree with it a little bit. Like, but I'm really CUNARI. Like I really am. Like, I think that is her thought process here is that she feels obligated um, to serve them and like work for them. um, But she doesn't actually believe the things that she's saying she believes. Otherwise her actions would literally n- demonstrate The exact opposite of what they actually do, because in every mission we know of her, she takes it into her own hands and she 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 is physically incapable of following direct orders from her superiors Mm -hmm. like Iron Bull. If you think about it. The only time we know of him disobeying, truly disobeying a superior he actually it it isn't even true disobedience because and I'm thinking about the incident with the chargers um because he leaves the decision up to the inquisitor, and so whatever the inquisitor decides he does it so even then it's not true disobedience, whereas with Talus, she's quite literally disobeying in every single mission. I don't understand how she got past the uh Reinstatement mission.
1: Right. And her role means those who solve, but she doesn't solve anything. Like, yeah, she gets away the heart of the many away from Prosper, but then abandons Hawk to fight the Duke. And like, there's never a point of self sacrifice for Talus for the Q. Whereas, like, before the Chargers incident, like, Here's the thing, if it would have been, like, if Bull could have made the sacrifice, and the Chargers live, and they were protecting, and that would protect the Qunari Dreadnought, he would have made it. But he couldn't make that sacrifice. He had to choose. But Talos would be like, oh, well, I'll just make a choice, whatever I think is right, but never the self-sacrificing choice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I agree with you. I have a lot of issues with Talus. I definitely like don't think she's the worst character in the Dragon Age universe like by far. Um, I just think that there are a lot of inconsistencies. And I I, th- I think that that is the case across this DLC. There are a lot of lore inconsistencies throughout this DLC. Um or that this DLC enters um into the canon. And so I want to state on the record because this happens a lot in the fandom is that people criticize Felicia day for the character. It's not her fault. The way Bioware wrote the character, like we are not criticizing her whatsoever. Um, Again, like I said, I really and truly like don't know anything about her. I know she's a huge fan of Dragon Age, and so I guess she wanted to be a part of the games, and so that's why they kind of like gave her redemption and made Talus look like her a little bit, um, but this is not hating on Felicia Day, and we don't condone or endorse that kind of behavior anyway, so I just wanted to make sure that got said while we're discussing this character.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, don't hate on the act. I mean, we don't hate on Laura Bailey for voicing Bianca. Like,
2: I mean, yeah, but Laura Bailey is Laura Bailey. She's queen. That's true. That's true. Um, But anyway, so are there any other thoughts you have about Talos as we, you know, close out this episode?
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, she's just meh for me as a character.
2: She... um. I think she might be my least favorite companion of all time. And yeah, I, I know that it, barring one, um, I know time and time again, we've had character deep dives that I've come in and said, you know, I thought that nothing could change my mind on this character. And the research changed my mind a little bit, at least a little bit. Ogren and Anders both are included in that. Um, This one did not change my mind. If anything, this research made up my mind even more that I very much hate Talis. Um, And there's only like one other person on my list that I feel like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll still hate them after I do the research. And that would be Carver. So we'll see, I guess.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't enjoy her character.
2: Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't have to... Not not every character has to be enjoyed. But, like, when we don't like a character, I at least want them to teach me something or show me something that I don't already know about the world. Like, perhaps Ogren. we He teaches us a lot about dwarven culture um, We that we don't get anywhere else. However... Talos doesn't do that. She's just, like, preachy and pretends to be on this moral high ground when she's, like, not. So, it's very hard for me to find any redeeming qualities in her. Yeah.
1: And, like, I do get it that a lot of the DA, there's a lot of preachiness in the DA2 companions. Um, Just in general, like, they all do it, except for Varric and Isabella
2: and Varric still kind of does it.
1: Right. The rest of them, like Fenris, obviously, Anders, obviously, Aveline. Yeah. Um, Meryl, even Meryl, a little bit. And, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, do you even know where your house is? And you're preaching at me.
2: Fair. Um, but anyway, so that's about all I have for this episode. Yeah. Um, I think we could safely say Talus is not a fave.
1: No, definitely not. Oh well, well, it was still interesting research, and it was good uh, to learn some stuff and get some thoughts out there about Talus. Um, if you, you know you're listening to this, whether you listen to our Spotify and you have a different opinion and you want to share why you love Talos, you can do that through a Spotify comment or you can hop in our Discord and come and share about why you love Talos. And I am more than open to hearing your perspective on that and maybe hearing from someone who did like Talos. I think that's awesome. And I think that's what I love about Dragon Age is that characters can be complex and diverse enough to where there can be people who are mad about them and then people who really love them. And a special shout out to our Nung King patron, Lewis H., who gets a special shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much for your support. But as always, thank you to everyone who listens to the Dragon Age lore cast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DALorecast.
0: If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups podcasting and more Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash Dragon Age Lorecast.
1: The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description.
0: If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time.
1: Or you can send us an email using threecountthoughts at gmail.com.
2: Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.